Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 law enforcement continues to search for a motive in the texas mall shooting it tells us that this was planned that this is very deliberate secretary of homeland security mayorkas says the white house is prepared for title 42 to end border towns disagree. I think it is clearly a bad issue for the president. Immigration is probably his weakest issue. Anheuser-Busch faces a new boycott from the gay community over the Dylan Mulvaney promo. It kind of calls into question how authentic that sponsorship and support was. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Monday, May 8th, I'm Mike Scott. Officials have revealed the identity of the gunman who killed eight people and injured seven others before he was shot to death by police at an outlet mall in Texas as Mauricio Garcia. We're staying on top of the breaking news out of Allen, Texas. News Nation is learning that 33-year-old Mauricio Garcia was behind Saturday's shooting rampage at a crowded outlet mall. Police are saying it was Garcia who shot and killed eight people, including children, before an officer gunned him down. He reportedly fired more than 100 times during the massacre and had more weapons ready in his car. From what we know so far, the 33-year-old Garcia did did not have a serious criminal history and was working as a security guard, though it is unclear exactly where. According to the FBI in Dallas, which is helping lead that case, along with the Texas Department of Public Safety, they have confirmed officials were searching two different locations related to the suspect, but did not provide any additional information. Governor Greg Abbott says the shooting at a Texas outlet mall has left many families in pain. This is just uh, devastating. Uh, Texans are hurting today. And uh, the people who are hurting the most, obviously, uh, are the families uh, of the victims. Abbott says he's working on tightening some gun legislation in Texas. There are some potential uh, easy solutions, such as uh, passing laws that we're working on right now to uh, get guns out of the hands of dangerous criminals and to increase penalties uh, for criminals who possess guns. The Texas governor goes on to say that it's hard to understand how this type of mass shooting could take place at an outlet mall. There are questions that are lingering that the families want answers to, and that is, why did this happen? Why did the government do this? Uh, How did this happen? Retired FBI agent Phil Andrew believes that from the evidence we've seen so far, it seems that the attack was planned. It tells us that this was planned, that this is very deliberate. Uh, In fact, with, with most of these, we'll probably see that some of the weapons were acquired rather recently. The the hate speech. Um, And then the accessing of multiple firearms are all 
very um, disturbing, very important pre-incident indicators, which will give us some insight into the motive. Um, but a very, very typical pattern we're seeing here. Andrew says that unfortunately, officials are still unclear as to why Garcia attacked this outlet mall. Well, the, the truth is we're just not sure yet that there's some indication that he was discharged for mental health reasons. Um, and we have this additional information about some of his background and his associations. We don't know what the motivation for this was. These are just little clues. Um, the police and their uh, both interviews, their study of the social media um, are going to provide more insight as this investigation continues. Six of those killed outside of the mall were found dead at the scene. Nine other victims were hospitalized. Two later died from their wounds. The investigation is ongoing, and the Daybreak Insider podcast will bring you more information as it becomes available. According to reports, Ukraine has used the Patriot missile system to down a Russian hypersonic missile over Kyiv. It was also the first time that Ukraine is known to have used the Patriot defense system. Meantime, Russian officials claimed over the weekend that two Ukrainian drones flew into the very heart of Moscow under the cover of darkness, reaching the Kremlin before they were shot down at the very last minute. President Volodymyr Zelensky denied any role while making an unannounced visit to Helsinki for talks with leaders of the five Nordic nations. Moscow then seemed to blame the U.S. for the attack, which the Pentagon and White House both flatly deny. Speaking with the Salem Radio Network, retired Navy Admiral James Stavridis considers whether the drone attack may have been staged as a pretense to renew air bombardments against Ukraine. I think the number one reason I would ascribe to is that Putin is getting ready to unleash a pretty significant air attack on Ukraine. He hasn't really done that so far. He's launched baskets of cruise missiles, occasional bombers, but he hasn't done the full Syria treatment to completely destroying a doomed city like Aleppo. The retired admiral believes that Putin may also try to use the alleged attack as a means to try and drum up flagging support for the war in Ukraine. You could say that the Russians are trying to whip up the Russian population. Look, we're under attack. Look how horrible this is. Raise the patriotic feelings in Russia, which are frankly pretty flat from everything I can see. When asked if he believes Russia would employ a nuclear strike on Ukraine, Savridis simply doesn't think so. He knows it'll it'll move the swing vote in the international world. In other words, they're the global south, so South Africa, Brazil, Nigeria, Pakistan, um, all of these nations, and particularly India and to some degree China, I think would walk away from Vladimir Putin if he uses a nuclear weapon. There is no independent verification of the purported attack, which Russian authorities said occurred overnight last Wednesday, but presented no evidence to support it. This week, the emergency health rule that has been used to keep hundreds of thousands of migrants from surging into the U.S. will be lifted. 
which has many immigration experts believing that the new surge of illegal migrants will strain the already overburdened resources across many border towns. Less than a week until Title 42 is set to expire, lawmakers are grappling with an influx of migrants at the southern border and the prospect of many, many more. Looking for last-minute solutions to prevent what could be another border crisis. It's the end of the Trump-era health policy that allowed border agents to turn away migrants on COVID-related grounds, a tool used 2.7 million times since March of 2020. As border agents prepare to return to old protocols, here in Washington, the fight continues up until the final hours. After 11 Senate Republicans sent a letter to Biden this week urging him to reverse course, two senators are now proposing a plan that would keep the core tenets of Title 42 in place for another two years. Independent Senator Kirsten Sinema and Republican Tom Tillis sponsoring the bill. Sinema says this buys the Biden administration more time to come up with a better plan to secure the border. Now, ahead of this Thursday deadline, the Pentagon is sending 1,500 troops to support Border Patrol there. The Department of Homeland Security is expanding detention capacity and deploying hundreds more asylum officers. However, a new update by one of our colleagues at the border is reporting that all of the San Diego sector facilities are at capacity, unable to house or process asylum seekers even days before this Title 42 is set to expire. While some experts question if the Biden administration has a competent plan. The president believes his administration is ready to handle the influx. We're going to set up the ability for people to go into country they want to leave, to go into an American facility to determine whether they qualify as a refugee, whether they qualify for asylum. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas says that he and his team have been preparing for the end of Title 42 for over a year. We've been preparing uh, for this for more than a year and a half, you are correct. And it is indeed a regional challenge, and it requires a regional response, which is why we are working so closely with many countries to the south. It's going to take our plan a while to really take hold for people to understand that they can access lawful, safe, orderly pathways before they reach the border. And quite frankly, if they come to the border, they will receive a consequence under our enforcement authorities. When asked about the humanitarian crisis, Mayorkas seemed to deflect and point the finger at Congress. There's a very important message not to uh, communicate only to Senator Sinema, uh, but to all senators and all members of the House of Representatives. We need immigration reform. Everything that the Department of Homeland Security is doing, everything that our partners across the federal government uh, are are doing is within a broken immigration system. Mm -hmm. Uh, The president passed uh, to Congress a proposal to fix our broken immigration system on the first day in office. The Homeland Security Secretary says that, in his opinion, the White House isn't ignoring the border crisis. I, I, the, the administration is not ignoring it. Well, we, are, said that. We, are, we are pressing forward. However, Republican Senator John Cornyn of Texas says the Biden administration isn't prepared and the situation at the border will worsen. With the expiration of Title 42, it will get worse. It will get worse. And uh, we know that they don't seem to have the, uh, have the, uh, the backbone Uh, to actually do the sorts of things they know they need to do in order to discourage people from coming to the border in the first place. 
Considering how the border crisis may impact Biden's 2024 presidential prospects, Niall Stanage, the White House columnist for The Hill, says that immigration is Biden's weakest issue. I think it is clearly a bad issue for the president. Immigration is probably his weakest issue. If you look at opinion polls, Americans disapprove of his handling of that topic. Around about 60 percent, 35 to 35 percent in favor. So it's very bad. Now, in relation to his re-election campaign, clearly if this were a single issue campaign and that issue were immigration, he would lose. But it's not. There are a whole lot of other issues, the economy, the push by the White House to make the Republicans appear unacceptable and extreme. There are all kinds of issues that the campaign can be fought on. But is immigration a good issue for the president? Clearly not. Stanage points out that the video footage of the border crisis is damaging to Biden's credibility. People look at the footage, I think you're showing some of it at the moment, of people crossing the border in large number. Anything that ever contributes to a sense that a president is not in control of an important issue is bad politically for that president. Last week, there were days when more than 20,000 migrants were in U.S. custody, double the capacity. In El Paso, some 5,000 illegal migrants were being held in processing facilities designed for fewer than half as many. Barring a last-minute legal challenge, the Trump-era policy known as Title 42 will expire at midnight Eastern on Thursday. More and more school districts are considering later start times in the day in an effort to improve the mental health of the nation's teens. We get more on this story from Daybreak Insider's Jackie Quinn. The COVID-19 pandemic brought on soaring numbers of high school students expressing feelings of sadness and hopelessness, but it also gave schools a chance to experiment with later start times, meaning teens could get more sleep. At least nine states are considering legislation to start the school day later. Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, which tried it, finds that it's helping with a 945 start time. School superintendent Daniel McGarry says he thinks the kids are feeling better. Maybe not 100 percent, but it seems that fewer are feeling social anxiety, which came on after the COVID isolation. Many schools in the country start as early as 7.30 a.m., leaving many teens sleep-deprived. I'm Jackie Quinn. Oh, the irony. After trying to show their support for the transgender community with a collaboration with trans social media star Dylan Mulvaney, Anheuser-Busch faced a massive backlash from conservatives across the country. Now it seems that the gay community is backing a boycott of the brand. Chicago gay bars are pulling the plug on Anheuser-Busch from Rogers Park to here in Uptown. There's an array of beer to choose from here at the Meeting House Tavern. But one tap is missing and won't be making a comeback. Anheuser-Busch InBev made its last call. The beer company received a backlash and hateful comments like this video from Kid Rock shooting beer with an assault rifle. 
The company's CEO told investors it was, quote, one influencer, one post, and not a campaign. Sidetrack, a 41-year-old gay bar on North Halsted says they won't be carrying any Anheuser-Busch products either. Well, after that partnership was announced with Mulvaney, Anheuser-Busch lost about $5 billion in market value. Mark Robinson owns four gay-themed bars in Chicago and says that none of his restaurants will carry Anheuser-Busch products anymore because he believes their support of the LGBTQ community is phony. Anheuser-Busch has been a sponsor of pride events, gay pride parades, gay pride festivals, market days here in Chicago. Um, They've been sponsors of events at LGBTQ bars around the city. So for them to now sort of go radio silent on us and pretend like we don't exist, it kind of calls into question how authentic that sponsorship and support was. This bar owner is also no longer selling Bud Light. As queer individuals in a queer community, we decide where we spend our money. And so we get to say, we're not going to put it here. Bye. The crux of the issue for these bar owners is what they perceive as backpedaling from Anheuser-Busch over the Mulvaney controversy. The company has previously defended its decision to hire Mulvaney before its CEO caved to incensed conservatives, offering a flat apology, saying, we are in the business of bringing people together over a beer. An influential shipping industry group is quietly warning shippers to think carefully before considering signing up for a new plan that says it will reduce pollution and eventually eliminate their contribution to so-called climate change. Daybreak Insider's Jeremy House has more details on this story. The International Chamber of Shipping in 2021 committed to the Paris Agreement's target to reduce greenhouse gases down to zero by 2050. But a confidential document obtained by the Associated Press shows the group advised member companies to give careful consideration to the possible implications before committing to a new plan to reduce maritime emissions. The lobby group said it wasn't warning shippers away from addressing climate change. The debate over artificial intelligence is growing more intense as there are now more growing concerns over AI, this time from show business. We get more on this from our Daybreak Insider, Jason Walker. Six months after the release of ChatGPT, artificial intelligence already prompting widespread unease throughout Hollywood. Concern over chatbots writing or rewriting scripts, one of the leading reasons that TV and film screenwriters took to the picket lines. Experts say the struggle screenwriters are now facing is just the beginning. World Economic Forum releasing a study predicting 25% of all jobs will be disrupted by artificial intelligence over the next five years. Jason Walker reporting. And finally... Long live the king. After a long weekend of celebrating, England has a new king, King Charles III. King Charles's coronation was held at London's Westminster Abbey on May 6. Charles and his wife, Queen Camilla, 
were both crowned during the official ceremony, which was attended by roughly 2,000 people. Prince Harry and Prince Andrew, the king's brother, were both in attendance, despite their tensions with the royal family. Amanda Nixon traveled to Windsor from the town of Rugby to celebrate the coronation of King Charles. He's waited for so long, so, you know, it's a really good opportunity. You know, the day was just... And to come to Windsor was amazing. I really wanted to come down and enjoy the day. So, yeah, really, really good. And today is going to be just as special with all the street parties. Concert gore Nicole Colongo says she and a friend were excited to attend the Coronation concert, featuring, among others, Katy Perry and Lionel Richie. It's a party. So we are here for the party and also for the concert. So Lionel, uh, Lionel Richie and Katy Perry will be here. So we are here to celebrate. For 1,000 years, British monarchs have been crowned in grandiose ceremonies that confirm their right to rule. As King Charles is the 40th sovereign to be enthroned at Westminster Abbey. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. 